Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Soccer Matters. Quick shot, score! The U.S. with Dempsey! The Fabregas, who looks for Iniesta, who's onside! Spain score! This is Soccer Matters on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Brought to you by the Daspin Law Firm, DaspinLaw.com. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Glenn Davis. All right, welcome into the second hour of the best of Soccer Matters here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. As always, it's presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLaw.com. 713-322-HURT. 713-322-HURT. They're bilingual. They'll take your case. They'll work for you 24-7, nights and weekends. The Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLaw.com. All right, here's part two of musician Jesse Dayton. By the way, grew up only two blocks away from the legendary Johnny and Edgar Winter in Beaumont, Texas. Speaking of punk rock, I love The Clash, brand new Cadillac. Uh, you yeah. guys do an amazing, that, that's just an amazing cover of that song. Tell me a little bit about your connection, Love of the Clash, and then the, why you chose Brand New Cadillac. Well, I got to see the Clash at the auditorium in Houston. And, uh, and yeah, they played two gigs there, I think. And I was a kid and I went with an older friend of mine. I was like, I think I was like 14. Um, and I went with an older friend of mine. I told my parents that I was sleeping at his house and that, you know, <laughs> that kind of whole thing. And then we got in his mom's Corolla and we cruised from Beaumont to Houston, went to an all ages class show. And there was this guy opening up named Joe Ely. Oh, my and I, God. and I'd never heard of Joe Ely before. And I saw how the clash adored Joe Ely. And I was like, wait, Joe Ely's from Lubbock. Like he's from Texas. Like, so this whole kind of like Buddy Holly, Bobby Fuller, I fought the law and the law won and punk rock thing just hit me. And, and then I was like, even though I still love, you know, all the classic rock, ZZ Top, Led Zeppelin, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of all that stuff. CCR, you know, The Clash became my band and that became my older brother's music. Of course, I would later come back around to it because it, it, it in my heart of hearts, I'm all about the first five ZZ Top records because I'm a Boma kid, you know. Oh, yeah. But but you know, I got to see the Clash and it changed my life. And because I saw like their live show, even if you don't like punk rock or you think you don't like punk rock or you think you don't like their voice or whatever, if you would have saw those guys live. They were so electric. It would blow your mind. So it kind of, you know, it kind of saved me from listening to uh, power ballads by guys with goofy makeup on and tons of hairspray. 
Gotcha. So I saw The Clash twice in New York, the famous Bond shows. Wow. Back to back, two nights. And I also saw him in England in Newcastle during a summer. And I was the only guy without a leather jacket in there that night. And, uh, <laughs> I, I stuck out pretty well. But uh, yeah, I, I love the power and passion of them, too. That was so cool. You picked a brand new Cadillac. Now, I want to take you into the blues and Slim Harpo and the yeah. hip shake. Because yeah. I think I learned of the hip shake from the Rolling Stones, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. So that that got me to learn about Slim Harpo, and that's how I learned about the Deeper South Blues and began loving all that stuff, Little Walter, all these things the Stones were covering. That's the beauty of music to me. And then your version of it is awesome because there's a couple of really hard chords in there, right? I mean, you kind of you kind of powered up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so if you put a gun to my head and made me choose, my favorite band would be the Rolling Stones. Me too. And I've I've seen the Rolling Stones 27 times. <laughs> and, and I've met I've met everybody in the band except Bill. Yeah. Um, because when I was recording with Waylon, they were recording across the hallway. So I got to meet all of them, except that's when Daryl Jones had joined the band. And uh but they they did a version of Hip Shake on Exile on Main Street, widely considered the greatest rock and roll record ever made uh, by any band. Um, I mean, that's what the critics say, you know, whatever, whatever they mean. Um, you know, critics, man, they're kind of like eunuchs at a gangbang. So don't put too much stock into them. Correct. But but the thing about Slim Harpo is that I realized that Slim Harpo grew up right down the road from where I grew up. He's from... I mean, right on the other side of the border in Louisiana. And these records influence, you know, the Rolling Stones, who came out before Led Zeppelin. Sure, they came out after the Beatles, but we all know that they're cooler than the Beatles, even though I love the Beatles. Uh, they're never, you know, Paul and John were never going to be as cool as Mick and Keith because they were the bad boys. But it's, it's amazing that... Uh, one record on an independent label that came out in 1960 out of Crowley, Louisiana, influenced everything that would come after the Rolling Stones. And you can even hear Mick Jagger mimicking uh, Slim Harpo. So if you guys are listening and you want to hear a Desert Island blues record, go get Greatest Hits Slim Harpo. And you'll hear all the ZZ Top grooves, all the Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Like, I mean, they should be paying that guy's family a fortune. Doesn't that have King B on it? Is King B his song? Too? King B's on yeah. it. Of course, the Stones did that. Yeah. And uh, and all that stuff came out of South Louisiana. You know, a lot of people think it's all from Memphis or, you know, all from Mississippi. But. Um, South Louisiana and East Texas were huge blues uh, pioneer. The first million seller before Robert Johnson was by a guy named Blind Lemon Jefferson, and he was from East Texas as well. Um, so where I grew up, there's a lot of mojo, man. No question about it. We're talking to Jesse Dayton, jessedayton.com. I highly recommend Death Wish Blues if, if my recommendation means anything. Uh, you're getting a little different audience tonight, Jesse, uh, when it comes to uh, the soccer crowd. So we're, we're trying to we're, we're we're getting a few people into your music here, hopefully tonight. Um, you know, what keeps you going? I mean, the, the, you know, obviously nobody achieves something like this without deep passion. 
Um, tell me how this keeps you going. I mean, is there just this infinity uh, uh, of creativity that's out there that you just want to keep trying to do different things and musically keep going? Is it the thrill of entertaining in front of people? Um, you know, what are some of the, the deeper things that maybe drive you? Well, I think a lot of times when people get our age, um, they kind of lose that little kid inside them. You know, they feel like, you know, they're just so exhausted. They've had to raise kids. They've had to work. And those are the real heroes of the world. Those people are mm -hmm. people who, you know, who raise good families and raise good people and work hard. That's, that's the real, you know, it's not all these other, all this other stuff we see on this silly uh, political media, this silly volleyball, you know, I'm, I'm a centrist and I take a lot of crap for it because, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm the only guy who's think, thinking, what about common sense? You know? Yeah. That's a good um, party to follow the common sense. Yeah. Party. Yeah. That's that I'm not, I'm an independent, you know? Um, but, you know, I see these people and they get tired and they get worn out and they're like, man, I used to really love doing that. I used to really love, you know, whatever, going to soccer games or, or, you know, getting season tickets for the year and like stuff like, and they just kind of, they're like, ah, I'll just stay home and watch it or whatever. Well, whenever I play guitar, it makes me feel like I'm a 15 year old kid, like putting those quarters on top of a turntable uh, to slow the record down so I can learn like Johnny Winter and Jimi Hendrix and ZZ Top Licks. Like every time I learn like something new on the guitar, it, it, it really does keep me young. And, and so I'm still excited about music. I mean, I do think about an exit plan, an exit strategy. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to do the Willie Nelson thing. Um, you know, I think that, you know, me and the wife could, you know, sell our properties in, in Austin and end up, you know, somewhere in the north of Spain on the beach at some point. That wouldn't suck. That would not be bad. The Caribbean. Uh, you know, I like by. I like playing guitar for my Labradors as much as I like playing for the 15,000 people we played for in, in New Orleans last weekend. So, but, but I, but I, I think people, you know, you got to get in touch. You know, I, I ride motorcycles. I watch baseball. I do a lot of stuff outside, you know, of, of music that, that keeps me in touch with that little kid, you know? That's a good lesson for people to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I let you go, uh, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, I mean, you're a younger guy and you, you meet these guys, you're working with these guys. I mean, how did a teenager handle that? A young kid handle that? Well, so I'll give you the, the short version, but I'm playing in Austin, Texas at the Continental Club. And this woman walks in and she's a big time uh, music executive named Evelyn Shriver. She's originally from New York, heavy New York accent, been living in Nashville forever. And she says, look, I can't get you on country radio because you're too weird. I don't even know what genre you are. She goes, but I can get you on TV. And I was like, great. You know, I didn't know if she was for real or not. You know, so the next day, phone rings. She's like, come to Nashville. I'm going to put you on this country music television show. 
And so I get there and I've got my tattoos and my sideburns and I don't fit in. I don't look like the Garth Brooks neon shirt, you know, people and all that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'll do this show. You know, it's kind of like one step below the Christian Broadcasting Network, you know, <laughs> and I'll I'll do this show. And at least my parents and relatives back in Beaumont, Texas, will feel better about my career. And then right before I walk out on stage, she walks in and goes, hey, Chris Christopherson's going to be on the show tonight. He wants to meet you. Well, so me and Chris end well, up hanging out that night. We go to the Gibson Guitar Factory and he has a limo and it takes me back to this dirtbag hotel I'm staying in because I don't have a record deal and I can't afford to stay where all the country stars are staying. And so the next morning, my phone rings and this voice comes over the phone in my room and says, Hey Hoss, you want to come play guitar for me today? And I was like, who is this? He said, it's Waylon Jennings. Oh my God. He said, I track, I saw you on the show last night with Chris and I tracked you down. Wow. And, uh, so of course I'm freaking out and totally unprepared, but I'm not unprepared because I played those songs a thousand times and I knew how to play all that stuff. So, I show up at the studio and I knock at the door and Johnny Cash opens the door and says, are you going to stand there with your mouth open? Or are you going to come <laughs> in and play that thing? <laughs> so a lot of this stuff, if you, if you Google Jesse date and Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, that first day, a lot of footage shows up online because they were oh, filming wow. it. Wow. Um, so anyway, that was the beginning of, you know, doing doing the session thing incredible jessedayton.com the new album is death wish blues um with my very uh, minimal knowledge of actually how music is played just the fact that i love it i can tell you this guy is a performer you will see a show that uh, you will walk away just going wow that is great music great singer by the way singing and playing a guitar that, that's, yeah that can't be an easy thing to do this is from a layman, okay? But when I look at you and you're playing guitar or Samantha Fish and you're also singing and you're carrying that through the whole set, that can't be easy to do. I mean, is, is a lot of that reflex? What is that? Well, I think it's probably, you know, I mean, sure, there are people that can do it and people who can't do it, but it's also like muscle memory stuff that I think right. athletes kind of, you know, draw on that. And... And I think it's kind of that same thing. But I also think, you know, when you're a kid and you're sitting around playing these simple little cowboy chords, D, G, E, F, you know, whatever, stuff like that. Um, if you're if you find yourself humming along and not realizing that you're doing it while you're doing it, you're probably a singer in waiting. Wow. Very so, you know, I hated the way my voice sounded for years. I, I I was young and I sounded like Mickey Mouse. And you go back and listen to those early recordings of me and people don't seem to be bothered by it. But for me, you know, I didn't I didn't grow into my shoes vocally uh, until I got a little older. And uh, yeah, it's it's a weird thing. But, you know, no, when nobody wants to be the singer, Glenn, you got to still play the gig. So. I'll um, tell you, I, I, I look at it and I go, that's not that's not an easy thing to do. And then to just be if, what song is next. I mean, all the other things that you got to carry, you got to lead. And uh, I mean, it's just 
it's pretty remarkable. Jesse, thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun for me. You're a more fun interview than a lot of soccer players. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm impressed with soccer. And, and by the way, uh, you did a great job of interviewing a musician. That was all really interesting stuff. It wasn't the same all stuff. Where were you born? You know, like, you know, that kind of like, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you'd be surprised. But um, I did get to go see uh, a game. Uh, I got to see a soccer game in Madrid. Oh. And, and uh, we were on tour there like years ago. And I got to say, man, it was like a Pentecostal church in East <laughs> Texas, like uh, magnified by about a billion times. Like the, it was like religion, dude. Those people were, <laughs> I, I was watching, I was looking around, like thinking like at any time this place could just go up in flames because <laughs> I mean, the passion was off the chart. So uh, I loved it. Yeah, that's a great story right there to end it. Jesse, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate everything, and uh, thank you for coming on tonight. I'll see you on Twitter, brother. All right, let's take a break here of The Best of Soccer Matters, brought to you by Danish Inspiration's Modern Contemporary Furniture. Get in and see our great friend Jan Christensen on Fondren. It's Danish Inspiration's Modern Contemporary Furniture. How you was where you could be found Told them you were living downtown Driving all the old men crazy Thank you for listening to ESPN 97.5 It means the world A whole new world A dazzling place I never knew is Soccer Matters on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Brought to you by the Daspit Law Firm. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Glenn Davis. All right, welcome back to Soccer Matters, the best of here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Always presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm. DaspitLaw.com. Call them. 713-322-HURT. They're bilingual. John and his firm will take your case. And don't forget, they're bringing soccer to the airwaves. Great opportunity here to catch up with, uh, well, a man that covers very intensively uh, the CONCACAF region, which uh, is, uh, as we know, changing, emerging, moving in different directions by the tournament. He's John Arnold, and uh, he's got the Getting CONCACAF newsletter as well as uh, writing features right now in the League's Cup. John, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, always good to be here, Glenn. How are you? All right. You're one of this uh, new breed of young journalists, I think, that are really capturing a, a, a lot of readership and are, are really passionately uh, going after this in your journalistic career. But your passion for the sports uh, clearly comes through. Um, the reason why you got focused on the CONCACAF region, I, I think it's interesting to find out from you. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it was just coming up as a as a soccer fan and watching games and sort of realizing that you know while a lot of our colleagues are doing their research and their homework sometimes you would watch a game like a US qualifier and they'd be playing a team like Costa Rica and just the MLS players would get spotlighted and sometimes that was 
appropriate and those were the star players. But there were plenty of other times where there were really, really good players who just seemed to be flying under the radar. So as I kind of increased um, my, I guess, journalism and started to, to report and realize, hey, man, sometimes I can just pick up the phone and call these guys, I, I decided to to pursue that. Um, so, you know, learned Spanish and started to write more about the CONCACAF region. And I was working with a website full time. And then a couple years ago, decided, you know, I'm just going to start telling every story I want to tell in the newsletter. So, um, yeah, it's, a, I guess, a bit of a, of a, a thumbnail sketch of how it all got going. You know, it's interesting because uh, I, I, it's easy to do the messy story, right? That one's out there. Everybody's going to want to read it potentially. But it's also fun, right, for you to kind of mine these stories that nobody really knows about and then bring this thing to light through words. Yeah, it's special to be able to to do a story. You know, one of the ones I did on the newsletter before the Gold Cup preliminary round was talking with a guy named Gerwin Lake. He was the leading scorer for the entire CONCACAF Nations League. Remember, it's not just the U.S. and Mexico. This goes all the way down to the CONCACAF's smallest members. He plays for St. Martin, the Dutch side of, of the island that maybe people know from vacationing or, or seeing some beautiful photos of or crazy pictures of the airport where there's people sunbathing and the planes coming right down. So... He was the leading scorer. I called him up. He works in Rotterdam. He's from the Netherlands. He was eligible uh, through a family member to play for St. Martin. And so, you know, he he works logistics during the day. He plays soccer at night. He wrote to the to the St. Martin national team saying, hey, I think I could help you guys out. They held a trout in the Netherlands. They said within one session, he was already signed up. And now he's scoring goals. You know, everyone's telling the messy story and I like to try and put my own spin on it. It's always a joy to tell the most important story world cup, women's world cup, big time national team, big time club. Uh, but I get a special joy from, from telling those stories that no one has heard of, that no one knows. And not that you do it for this, but those are the types of stories as well, where, you know, you get a message from, from Gerwin Lake after saying, man, Hey, I didn't realize people were going to take notice and, and, and understand who I was better uh, just from the simple interview and newsletter. So those are the moments that, that kind of keep propelling me forward and, and keeping me interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. And as uh, someone who has family in the Caribbean for many, many, many years, uh, those stories abound. I mean, they're amazing. So, I mean, most people don't even know Tim Duncan was a swimmer before he became a basketball player from St. Croix. So, um, you know, before going on to fame in the NBA, we're talking to at Arnold comma John on Twitter He's got the Getting CONCACAF newsletter, which I receive. I love that. Uh, he's doing features on on the League Cup right now. All right, you were at uh, you were up in Frisco, right, for the Messi game. Just yeah, give me some yeah. impressions and thoughts, because from the perspective of watching it on TV, it, it Lionel Messi lifted everybody from every single player on that field to the crowd. No, absolutely. I I think Messi's impact is just so monumental and you know i i get to games quite early i'm sure you do too glenn to you know kind of get in my spot and prepare and you know usually it's a pretty lonely time when i get to frisco several hours early but already fans were lined up hoping to see Messi get off the bus trying to you know get a messy jersey from the people selling them on the street corner which certainly isn't something that happens at every game in Frisco so from that moment on you knew it was going to be a different night and it was I think you talk about him kind of raising the game you know fans were certainly engaged from minute one and I think it was interesting you know some of the people wearing Argentina 10 jerseys or wearing Messi's jersey from PSG or Barcelona you could tell where 
more FC Dallas fans than Inter Miami fans. And so they were cheering when FC Dallas was scoring goals when they went up 3-1 at one point in the game. The people are still clapping and cheering, but then Messi did what Messi does. Miami goes to penalties. And, you know, I think raising the game of the other players as well. You saw Alan Velasco, FC Dallas's Argentine, who has Maradona tattooed on his back, such as his respect and, and love for the Argentine heroes who have gone before him. Uh, so Messi is obviously quite an important figure for him as well. He had his best game of the season. He's actually had a bit of a sophomore slump this year for FC Dallas and yet uh, really was was a player that I think, you know, probably gets an 8 out of 10 rating for the game if you kind of do the the L'Equipe style or whatever it is, I don't know. But, uh, but, you know, he raises his game. Defenders are raising their game. Everyone is. But, you know, no matter how much you raise your game, Lionel Messi still is Lionel Messi. He can still hit that free kick from from that spot. He can still beat the goalkeeper no matter what he does. And, you know, I, I was kind of skeptical that Miami would be able to make this deep of a run in this League's Cup tournament, not because of a lack of talent by any stretch by Lionel Messi. We saw him win the World Cup just a few months ago by Sergio Busquets or by Jordi Alba, just because I wondered how quickly it would gel. I think they still have some problems with that, but it seems like uh, Messi can paper over a lot of those cracks. No question about it. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of put myself in the mind of, number one, the players on Inter-Miami. All of a sudden, the biggest known soccer player in the world who just lifted the World Cup is in your team. So now you're training with him every day. You're around him. Same thing goes for opponents who, you know, you, you have to think in your head, this, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. I want to shine in that one moment. It may never come again for me. And to your point about Velasco, uh, it's one of the best games I've ever seen him play. And not only with the ball, but without the ball. Uh, when Inter-Miami was in possession, he was trying to make it difficult for Busquets, et cetera, et cetera. So great point. You wrote a great article on the League's Cup website. Um, and I would suggest people go to leaguescup.com and read this, especially Houstonians. It was titled Monterey North, Rayados Tigres fans at home in Houston's passionate League Cup knockout atmosphere. Um, you and I were talking before the interview. It's it's always great from somebody, when somebody outside a market does a great take. You did a great take on this, in, in my opinion. I really applaud you because we have known for years that that fans of Tigris and Rayados drive across the border, invest time, money to go and support their team. We know the link with Houston, Texas, with Tigris and Rayados. They may be the biggest. I think they're the biggest brand, potentially, these two teams in this region of the world. With all due respect to Club America and Chivas, I think they're in there. Um, but this was a great article. Why did you decide to do this article? Well, for the League's Cup site, we're trying to do articles like that that go a little bit beyond simply what was a great game. But, you know, uh, if you if you watch the game or if you watch the highlights, you already know it was a great game. Not to say there's not value in writing those types of stories. Uh, I do them all the time and try and put a special spin on them. But uh, we're trying to look for these stories about connection, about sort of how the U.S. and Mexican soccer culture is colliding what beautiful moments that creates, what moments of friction that creates. And I think that when I saw this game, Monterrey Tigres was going to be in Houston, I thought, man, I got to be there because uh, I've been to previous games, Tigres America a couple years ago, some friendly matches, sometimes that have involved the Dynamo. Uh, with my work, I've just been in, in Houston before and seen not only kind of how passionate about Tigres and Rayados 
Houston really is. Just how many people from Monterrey live in Houston? How "quote unquote" regio, as sometimes the city is is uh, city's residents are nicknamed. Just how regio Houston is. So uh, the atmosphere delivered. You know, I, I wasn't sure a hundred percent what I would find, um, but what I found was something that I thought was quite beautiful. You know, it was a neutral site game. It had been ten years since the Clásico Regio had been played outside of Nuevo León, the state where where Tigres and Rayados both play. And so you had fans from Monterrey chanting and singing. You had fans from Tigres chanting and singing. You had just a really cool vibe. Uh, and I think it's notable that despite the fact that we've all known this for a long time, even 10 years ago when they were putting the games in, in Robertson Stadium saying, hey, this is where the, the people from Monterrey are. Now we finally see the clubs, Tigres and Rados, investing and in trying to make those fans who exist and will never stop supporting their team feel more like they're part of the community, feel more plugged into the club. And I think, you know, you have to ask questions about, you know, the Houston Dynamo and other teams in the state and other teams in MLS where it's, you know, I was saying, hey, some of these Messi fans, they're also rooting for FC Dallas. How do you get those fans who are Rayados Tigres and they want to watch every game every Saturday to also become fans of the local team in their city? I think it's a big challenge. But if you recognize that that community is there, and I think if you value that and say, this is beautiful, it's really cool what you've built here. It's cool that Tigres is trying to, to host more events. It's cool that Rayados are launching social media accounts in English. It's cool that both of these teams are making an effort. How can we become that other team? You know, Tigres, I spoke to uh, the vice president for marketing, a very impressive guy, very smart strategy. And he said, we're trying to become everyone's third in the third top three favorite Mexican teams. They don't mind if you root for the Houston Texans or the Houston Dynamo. They're saying, we want to be your favorite Mexican team. And they understand Chivas and, and, and America are already very powerful, but we think we can win more fans. That's their strategy. That's their idea. And I think it's a really wise way of looking at a very complex uh, market and, and, and fandom that's evolving and changing as we all sort of start to consume sports in a different way. John Arnold, he's... Uh... At Arnold, comma, you got to spell it out, C-O-M-M-A, John, J-O-N, at Twitter. All right. Um, and he's writing for the League's Cup. He's also got the Getting CONCACAF newsletter. I suggest you get it. Um, as uh, we heard, Tuca Ferretti came out very uh, strongly with a lot of comments about uh, how the gap is narrowed. The MX is no longer... Um, you know, the dominant league in the world. I, I think we all saw that kind of coming with additional investment. Um, from the Mexican perspective, and I talk with a lot of people in Mexico about this, player development down there, how is the gap narrowed from a competitive standpoint in your mind, John? Yeah, when we talk about the leagues, I think that the biggest thing setting apart MLS in Mexico is this player development idea and I would say the U.S. sort of accepting that these players are going to develop better elsewhere and trying to get players to Europe as quickly as possible clubs being open by the way that. by the way I have to stop you there remember when that was so valiantly fought against when Jurgen Klinsmann was pushing a portion of the American yeah. players to try to go to Europe and look where we are now the basis of our national team is the likes of Adams McKinney Polisic that that all really started their careers over there apart from, yeah. you know, developing and maybe academies with MLS. Too. No, 
Yeah, and, and I would love to see the day when MLS in Mexico have the best coaching, have the best atmosphere, have the best nutrition, uh, weightlifting programs, et cetera. But right now, Europe is still ahead of us, right? And so I think MLS has come to that acceptance and figured out a way, crucially, to make it work economically. Clubs understand that if I sell it as 17 or 18-year-old kid for very low money, but I keep a big portion of that sell-on, when this kid succeeds as we hope and think he will, I will then benefit. That delayed sort of, uh, it's not, I mean, maybe gratification, that delayed cash, I think, is vital because Mexican clubs are still starting to sort of have the wheels turn there, but mostly want to keep their players at home. And so you, when you see players take the jump across the Atlantic Ocean, if they do it, it's often quite late. I, I think that's sort of the biggest you know, issue between national team player development. Well, so why are we not seeing Liga Mekis teams win in all these League Cup games? First of all, they're playing every game on the road. That's crucial and critical. We know from MLS results, it's very difficult to go on the road, especially when you've been on the road for as long as these Mexican teams have been on the road, which is almost a month now for most of them. But I think the other thing is that you are starting to see MLS close that spending gap a little bit and start to have some of these younger players in the, the middle tier, if we want to call it that, roster slots, have a better soccer education, have stronger soccer IQ, and, and just be better players technically on the ball uh, with their understanding of positioning, I would say that those players are starting to catch up. I would caution, you know, when we look at the CONCACAF Champions Cup, as it's now called, when we look at future editions of League's Cup, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Mexican clubs kind of roar back. But in this edition, as we're talking, Glenn, there's two left, Monterrey, who beat Tigres, and Querétaro. You don't necessarily look. That means guaranteed. There's at least one MLS team that's going to secure one of these three Concacaf Champions uh, slots that are available in League's Cup. So that's already, I think, a bit of a success for Major League Soccer. If an MLS team lifts this trophy, I think that would be a big success. And if it's two out of three or three out of three that get these Concacaf slots, there's no doubt about it. MLS has sort of very convincingly, quote unquote, won this tournament. I think it would be fascinating to watch the, you know, be great to be a fly on the wall in the next meeting between uh, Don Garber and Mikel Arreola, the two leaders of the leagues, because I think at some point, and it could be this year, Mexican teams are going to say, hey, hold on a second. We got to host some games because it's not fair. But if these teams are competing on a level playing field, I think we would see very even results. And that speaks really well, not just to what MLS is doing, but I think to the development of the club game in the region. John, there is a thing called uh, cash payola greenbacks. That's the great neutralizer in all of this. But uh, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Wonderful stuff. We look forward to another visit in the future. My pleasure, Glenn. Talk soon. All right, let's take a break here on the Best of Soccer Matters, presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLaw.com. ESPN 97.5. You've chosen wisely. I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. This is Soccer Matters on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Brought to you by the Daspit Law Firm. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Glenn Davis. All right, welcome back to the Best of Soccer Matters here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. A big shout-out and thank you to longtime sponsor, 
Jan Christensen and Danish Inspirations Modern Contemporary Furniture. Get over to Fondren. Get into their showroom. They've got Stressless. They've got all the great pieces of furniture that will modernize your home. You come into my living room. It's all about Danish Inspirations Modern Contemporary Furniture. A big thank you to Jan and Danish Dynamite. Great opportunity uh, to talk about the University of Houston women's Cougar soccer team. He is the head coach. He grew up playing the game here in Houston. Uh, went on to be an under-20 U.S. youth national team assistant coach. Took over the under-18 national team coach, assistant at University of Virginia. We could go on. He's Jaime Frias. Jaime, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Glenn. Really appreciate you. All right. Well, we appreciate you. I always love the local story, and uh, it goes back a long way for you. You've come full circle. You're back here. So let's talk about the U of H women's program. You just took it over recently. Big piece here going into this season is you guys are now in the Big 12. Take me into that and that great competition against teams like Texas, Texas Tech, TCU. Take me into that, what it means for the program. It means it means everything for us, Glenn. I think this is the reason why I in particular accepted the job is the challenge of going into a, one of the major conferences in women's soccer here in the country. Uh, we've been preparing for this moment for a long time, not only as a women's soccer program, but as a university, as an athletics department, as coaches, administrators, and players. So there's a lot that goes into um, trying to compete at a, at a really high level. But like I said, it's it's a lot of work, and I think we're we're ready, and hopefully we're surprising some people here in year one. How do you feel you are positioned here? Because you just recently took the job over last season. So uh, how do you feel uh, right now in, in building the program in the image of Jaime Frias? Right. As, as, as a coach, you always have a plan in place and, and you try to forecast how many years it's going to take you to, to, um, to get that plan in, in, in place. And I feel we're a little bit ahead of schedule, in particular with the quality of players that we're bringing in and in and how fast our current players are developing as well. And so as I look at our preseason this year in comparison to last year, um, the returners are playing a much better brand of soccer. They're a little bit more cerebral. They understand a little bit of the team tactical principles that we're trying to implement. And then the players that we've brought in, not only incoming first years, but transfers as well, uh, what we're trying to do here really resonates with them. So in particular, the transfers, they got a little bit more experience. And so they can really hit the ground running here quickly. And that's what we need them to do in order to turn our program around. Jaime Frias, head coach, U of H women's soccer. And uh, they will kick off. uh, Well, actually, tonight at the taping of this interview, you're probably playing a preseason game, but their opener is at the University of Washington. So really good strength of schedule. Take us into, you know, some of those principles of of how you want to play. If you were describing your team. Right. It's, uh, you know. In looking at the modern game, you have to have players, in my opinion, that can that can read the game well. And so what we're trying to do with our team tactical principles is just trying to organize the team as best we can. It's We want to be the fastest moving team of and off the ball, and not only in our conference, but our aspiration is to do that around the, the country. Uh, we want to have, you know, a variety of attacking options um, and attacking a variety of ways. We want to be unpredictable in the attack. We want to have interchangeable parts in the attack. So, for example, our left back can become our left forward. Left forward can become a center mid. Center mid can become a wide back. All these types of wonderful interchanges. But we want to attack as one, and it's hard to attack as one 
all the way through the attacking third if you're playing an extremely direct brand of football. And so you've got to use passes to glue you together. And from a defensive perspective, we want to be a pressing team. But like I tell my players, we don't want to mad dog it all over the field. We want to be organized based on cues and triggers. We want to be, um, you know, we're, we are very, um, uh, how can, what's the word that I can describe? Uh, we're, we demand a lot out of the, the smaller details, for example, in the individual defending. We want to be um, really good in, the, in individual defending instances. We want to make sure that we're a team that communicates defensively, um, a team of competitor and ball winners, and we want to defend as one as well. So those are some of the concepts that we try to instill within our team. Jaime Frias, he is the head coach of the University of Houston women's soccer team. I urge you to get out there. Um, you're recruiting now. How much of your roster is based on the talent that exists here that we know here in Houston? How much in Dallas? And then, you know, how much do you venture out? When I got here, it was it was a smaller percentage than what I would like of players from Texas. Texas is so rich in talent. Uh, it's been, in particular, the Houston, Austin, and Dallas area. So we want to do uh, a much better job of trying to keep that talent here, put a fence around Texas to make sure that we keep most talented players here in, in Texas, but in particular in Houston. And so, but what's unique about our city, it's, it has two major airports, Glenn. So a player from California can get here in two hours. A player from Maryland can get here on a plane two and a half hours. A player from Ohio can get here in an hour and a half. And so we're a, we're a, a hub as well for for recruiting nationally. And I think we're, we've got to take advantage of that as well. Ami Frias joining us, uh, University of Houston uh, head coach. Their opener will be on the road at the University of Washington. I look at your schedule. The Big 12 really ups the competition. You know, where do you set the bar right now realistically? I mean, obviously, we know you want to have a great season, right. get into the tournament, do well. But but where do you realistically at this phase look at it? We want to be we want to do first first things here within the program. We want to obviously try to make it into the Big 12 tournament. And so 10 out of the 14 teams make the Big 12 tournament. That's really just in and of itself, it's really competitive to try to get into that tournament. And then from there is, can we sneak into the NCAA tournament, which is something our our program's never done. If we can do those two things, I think we've punched above our weight. And I think that that's something that we're really trying to grab onto as a program. I may talk about a couple of your key players. I know, you know, a lot of times coaches in college want to shy away from that because, yeah. you know, you it's just about, but you know, we do need to be uh, aware of who to come look for if we come to your game. So pick out a couple players for us with respect to all the others. Yeah. I think if, if, if you like creative cerebral players, you're going to look at our midfield In our midfield, you're going to look at Caitlin Matthews, CC cross, and probably Alexis folks. And Alexis folks is someone that played here. She's out of the woodlands area and played for the dash when the dash was still here at DA team. And so you have some homegrown talent there here playing for us. She's a transfer that transferred in from Texas Tech and is back home here playing at the University of Houston. As a back, we have this transfer. We have a couple of center backs that are transfers, which is Jada Gibson and Sophia Weber. And one, Weber's from the University of Connecticut transferred in. Uh, Gibson's transferred in from Georgia. But the one that's really coming up and, and it's going to surprise a lot of people is this player called 
uh, Alex Whitcraft from Dallas. And if you like uh, attacking outside backs, you're going to like watching Alex Whitcraft. And then up top, we have a wonderful collection of front runners. We have a transferred in. Uh, Davis is her last name. She's transferring in from Ole Miss. And then you have Cameron Maddox that transferred in from the University of San Diego. Those are extremely dynamic, creative, uh, goal-scoring kind of personalities. So I think if I could encapsulate some players to look out for in each line, those will be the ones that you probably look out for. He's Jaime Frias. He's the head coach of the University of Houston women's soccer team. Now, look, uh, I've been covering the Big 12 since back in the 90s, believe it or not. And <laughs> I have just seen the exponential growth of the quality of play. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it went from a time where I remember coaches saying to me when I was in, in, in youth development, hey, we just need some women to put on our team. They don't even have to be very good to, to now where it's just the quality of play is exceptional. Um, do you look forward to locking horns with some of these great coaches that I know, the Tom Stones at Tech and the Angela Kelly? I mean, this has got to make it fun. Yeah, it, it really does. I think what I like most about this particular conference and, and group of coaches is that you can be super competitive with them on the field, but yet off the field, you can put your arm around each other and be collegial like it's supposed to be. Right. You're going to try to beat somebody when you're there at the game. But afterwards, you can discuss, discuss what's going on in their personal lives, discuss what they're doing within their coaching. And they're super open to discuss those types of things. And so I'm, I'm more than anything, I'm, I'm looking forward again to know each of them a little bit better as, as I as I'm a newcomer within this conference. And obviously the athletic department at the University of Houston very engaged in women's sports. Um, and I get the sense that you feel a great support from them. Yes. Like I said, on my interview, I didn't want to know what the university of Houston was going to do for football, for softball, for baseball, for track and field. They really sold me on the vision of what it was that they wanted the university of Houston women's soccer team to be. And they're investing, they're investing in a ton of resources, not only off the field, but human resources, you know, the people that are needed and required to make this thing go. And that's what, what's most exciting about joining the league and joining this department. Quick mention about your staff, Jaime, before we let you go. Flor Benatar is a longtime coach, comes out of the Dallas area, and she could be a head coach anywhere in the country. But what's exciting about her is that she wants to uh, start a project just like I did and be a part of starting something, uh, be a part of, of starting something from the ground up. Um, she's, she's a motivator. She's an educator. She's involved with us soccer as well on the youth side. And she's a wonderful colleague to have with me. And then there's Jalen Cunningham, which is one of the up and coming goalkeeping coaches. One of the top goalkeeping coaches are from around the country, in my opinion. And I've seen a lot of them. And, uh, she was recommended, by one of my good friends, Janet Rayfield played at the university of Illinois for Janet. And uh, she fits the bill and in, in, in everything that's required for being a fantastic coach. I may thank you so much. Uh, we wish you the best of luck in a great season. We look forward to uh, visiting with you throughout the season and a uh, great story. And we wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much for coming on tonight. Thank you so much, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So that's the final segment tonight on the best of soccer matters here on ESPN 97.5. Thank you all for tuning in here tonight. Uh, reminder, presenting sponsor of this show, always, John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLaw.com. You call them at 512-CALL-NOW. They're bilingual. 
John and his firm, personal injury attorneys, car, boat, motorcycle accident. It's a stressful time. You need the best. The best is the Daspit Law Firm, daspitlaw.com, 512. Call now, and they are bilingual, and they love soccer. All right, uh, from your soccer station tonight, we remind you, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you go, subscribe to the Soccer Matters podcast. For producer extraordinaire, he is Andrew Carlson. For Guillermo Lazo Romero, I'm Glenn Davis. Until next Thursday night, remember, Soccer Matters. ESPN 97.5 on FM radio. AM is stupid. (laughs) Got him. 610, please. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him.